This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. My dear beloved Sheikh uh, Siraj Wahaj, it was my dream actually that um, I would be on stage with him in order to honor him for all the great um, deeds that he did, inshallah ta'ala, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from him. When I was younger, I was uh, being accepted to Medina University and I had the interview. And so the person, um, the officer that was asking me about, you know, who are the, the scholars that influenced you when you were young? And I said that one of the most influential shiuch, one of the most influential scholars that influenced me was Imam Siraj Wahaj. I know how it is. I've been on the speaking circuit and here I can't even get away from this conference. I still have to do the video, right? I know how it is. The shiuch get invited everywhere. And sometimes as the shiuch go from place to place, city to city, staying at this person's house, staying in that hotel, leaving their family and all of that, in the midst of that, they start to say to themselves, I know I've asked myself this question, what's the point of all this? Is there any benefit? Is anybody benefiting? And so this message is for Imam Siraj. I want you to know that we have benefited from your legacy. I was a little kid praying behind you and listening to your lectures when I was younger. And alhamdulillah, I want to say that Al-Maghrib Institute is part of your legacy, inshallah ta'ala. And so as the Prophet ﷺ said, that when a person dies, their actions are cut off except for three things. And one of those is which is knowledge that people continue to benefit from. I ask and I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all this knowledge that you see, everybody in this audience and all the legacy that we're pushing forward, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept you as one of the pioneers of this da'wah in North America. And I want you to realize that you have made a difference in my life and many of the brothers and sisters that are here in the audience today. And we ask and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless you and to bless your children and your family. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enter you into Jannatul Firdaus with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakumullah khayran. I wish all of you a blessed weekend. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases you with more and more knowledge. As the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to pray, Rabbi zidni ilma. Jazakumullah khayran. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Right here, right now, a hadith that I swear by Allah when I see Imam Siraj Wahad, it reminds me of it all the time. A hadith that it just comes to mind when I see Imam Siraj Wahad. And it is the famous hadith in which the Prophet wasallam said that, the, that when Allah loves a person, He announces in the heavens, O oh Jibreel, I love so and so, so love him. So Jibreel loves him. And Jibreel then announces to the people of the heavens, the inhabitants of the skies, the angels, O people of the heavens, Allah Azza wa Jal loves so and so, so love him. So the inhabitants of the skies, i.e. the angels, they love him. And when the angels love him, then love for him is placed amongst the people of the earth. It is a sign of ikhlas and sincerity. It is a sign of iman and taqwa. It is a sign 
of that iman and sincerity that a person has, that the Muslim ummah accepts him with joy and love. This acceptance doesn't come from any source other than Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَيَجْعَلُ لَهُمُ الرَّحْمَانُ وُدَّا Those who are truly righteous and pious and do good deeds, Allah Azza wa Jal will write for them love. The scholars of tafsir say, meaning Allah will write acceptance for them on earth. The people of the earth will love them like the people of Jannah and like Allah Azza wa Jal Himself. I pray, I pray that Allah Azza wa that uh, our dear brother Imam Siraj Wahaj, I pray that he is of those people whom Allah Azza wa Jal has announced that he loves them. And that is why Jibreel and the angels love that person as well. And that is why the people of this earth love that very same person as well. I pray and sincerely pray that our dearly beloved Imam Siraj Wahaj is of those people. And insha'Allah ta'ala he is by virtue of the fact of his love that has been written for him on earth. Imam Siraj Wahaj, Jazakumullahu kulla khair. You do not know your effect and impact that you have on the du'at, on the imams, on the mashayikh, and on the entire Muslim ummah. Keep up the good job. May Allah Azza wa Jal accept from all of us. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I actually feel very embarrassed, but at the same time, I'm very honored actually to be here and speak in the presence of Imam Suraj as well as our beloved Shaykh Yasser. But when I was watching the clip, as Muhammad Sharif was talking, it reminded me of uh, a speech that he gave, actually, uh, when we were in Hajj. You know, few people actually brought tears to my eyes. One of them is, by the way, Muhammad Sharif. And when he made that final remark about Imam Siraj, I said, he did it again. <laughs> and I said, subhanAllah, uh, you know, maybe I cannot claim like Muhammad Sharif and Abu Ammar that, uh, that, that I knew Imam Suraj since, since childhood. But I came here to America relatively young, 16, about 16. So that tells you how old I may be. Uh, so when I first came here, that's a very critical age, very critical stage. And there's this cultural shock and there's the adjustment and adapt. You know, I have to adapt to a new culture. Very critical age. One of the people, without any exaggeration, and I didn't know whether it was him, his message, which I didn't fully understand because I was just learning English, or his name, Siraj Wahaj, or his wisdom, or his demeanor. Something about this man kept me going. Something about his, his style, his speeches, and his effect on some of my siblings that came here before me came to America, motivated me. And it wasn't until Imam Siraj, I heard Imam Siraj uh, for the first time, live. Um, and I don't know if you remember this or not. I kind of just read, the, I did the Quranic recitation for that event. And Imam Siraj gave a speech that I do not forget until this day, uh, about over 10 years ago. He gave a speech about, in my opinion, it was as powerful as the Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, I Have a Dream speech. <laughs> and it's ironic that Muhammad Sharif talks about legacy, leaving a legacy and having dreams and having goals in life and working toward those goals and recognizing Imam Siraj at the end as someone that who indeed left huge impact and, and, and legacy and still is 
leaving, uh, you know, uh, making more impact on everyone, every single one of us, and every single one of us that we influence, he will, inshallah, be our partner in sharing that reward. It's ironic that he's, all of this, it's very interesting that all of this is mentioned together, and the one speech that I keep remembering every time I hear Imam Siraj speak or I see him is your lecture about Prophet Yusuf and his dream and how the story of Prophet Yusuf starts with a dream and how that dream kept him going through all the tribulations and all the trials that he went through. It was an amazing lecture, an amazing performance. And until this day, I still remember that speech and every now and then every time I'm, I'm down every time I'm, I ask myself that question that Muhammad Sharif was talking about why are we doing this why are we traveling across the nation and coming you know why are we leaving our families is this really a waste of time is it I remember that speech so for that Imam Siraj Jazakallahu Khair may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless us all um, with your with your knowledge, with your wisdom, with your presence, and may Allah subhanahu wa taala give you the strength and the motivation and the guidance that you need to keep this up. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Brothers and sisters, um, of course, I didn't expect this. Everybody was speculating about uh, about the surprise. I was speculating too. I am thankful to Allah for having allowed me to try my best to serve Him. And I'm appreciative that there are those who have recognized some good that we've tried to do. In 1978, I was blessed to study in Um Quran, not for 10 years, but for four months. And I was blessed <laughs> to have learned from true scholars. One of my favorite teachers, Sheikh Hussein Hamid.
from Egypt. Every class he began the same way. Subhanakah. La ilma lana illa ma'alamtana. Innaka antal alimul hakim. Glory be to you, O Allah. We have no knowledge except for what you have given to us. You are the knowing and the wise. We ask Allah to accept our very humble effort. I don't want to come to a conference, a meeting, a gathering, and meet for one minute or an hour or a day without taking something home. I think it was Thursday. I was with some of you in the uh, University of George Mason. And, and you mentioned to me that you were coming to this program. And the next day I flew to Boston, Massachusetts, University of Boston. Some of the Muslims there told me they were coming to this program. And as I was going around the country, various students especially said they was coming to this conference. So why do you come to the conference? And the Prophet والسلام, he made this dua, Allahumma inni min ilmin la yanfa'u. I seek refuge with you from knowledge that doesn't benefit. I don't want just to have knowledge. I don't want just to know things. I want to know things that when I leave the conference tonight, when I go back home, when I get on the road, when I get on the plane, when I go back home, I'm going to take something that these men who have prepared themselves, ours to prepare themselves to give us something so that we may be better Muslims. So I ask Allah um, tonight that he would bless us to say a few words that I'm, you know, you know, mess, you know, mess me up. I'm all messed up. But I want to first take a moment. I want to, I want to um, introduce you to someone. And you know, over the years, um, those of you who have listened to me, and and many of you. Learn, and you see my children growing up through me. Often I speak about my children in my, my talks. I've told you that I have nine children. And I think some of you, maybe you think I'm making it up. <laughs> Where are these children? Well, I want to introduce you to one of them. Sapana, would you please come up? Now she's surprised. Now she's going to start crying. I told her to make sure she she's here today. This is my lovely daughter, Sopana.
she is my sixth child, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes I mess it up. <laughs> but I just want to tell you that, alhamdulillah, in June 21st, Sopano will be getting married. And I think, is he here, Lookman? No, he left. He's left. He's Big guy, by the way, brothers. <laughs> Serious, you're like 6'5"? Something, right? like Something like that. Right? And I just wanted to tell you why I brought her up here. Is after she gets married, inshallah, in June, her and her husband are going to India to do what? Humanitarian work. Really, how long are you going to go, Swan? four weeks and I want to let you know I could not be more proud of this you know this wonderful daughter this is like my Fatima you know what I mean and I know, I know, I know I'm embarrassing her she said get me down off this stage man <laughs> but I just want to let you know that when I say I have nine children I really do and this is one of them <laughs> thank you assalamu alaikum thank you Now, brothers and sisters, I, I want to just take a moment, actually, uh, to share something with you. I've been blessed over the years. I remember um, a few years ago, I, I went to India and with John Esbizito, and we spoke in front of an audience of 300,000 people. I've been blessed to go around the world and was fortunate enough to give some talks here and there. In this country, the Congress of the United States of America never begins a session unless it is first begun with an invocation, a supplication, a dua. And in the history of this country, it has always been done by Jewish rabbi or Christian minister. But for the first time in this country in 1993, a Muslim imam opened up a session of Congress. I was blessed to be that one. I didn't choose myself. And you may ask yourself the question, so why, why, would you want, why would you want to do that? Because I learned, brothers and sisters, over the years, you can't be on this planet uh, a half a century and not learn some things. Muawiyah was right. He said, La hakima illa tajiba. There's no real wisdom without experience. So it's one thing to read it in a book. You open the book, you read it. You read it in the Quran, you read it in the Sunnah, you read it in the history books, that's one thing, but to experience it is another thing. So when we open the session of Congress, I get a call from Saudi Arabia. Every five minutes they're playing it on television, a Muslim opened up a session of Congress. People call me from Saudi Arabia and invited me to come there, stay in their homes, or stay in their hotels. Because for them, that was something huge and something magnificent. The next day, Pat Robinson, Robinson in the 700 Club, 
heard that a Muslim opened up a, a session of Congress and he was angry and he said, how dare you let Muslims open up Congress? Next, you will let witches do it. And then I think three months later, Imam Warafuddin Muhammad opened up a session of, of the Senate of the United States of America. But what does that mean? It means that in the eyesight of Americans, not in our eyesight, we're legitimate. Allah makes us legitimate. But in the eyesight of many American people, it said, yes, the Muslims are as legitimate as anyone else. So for us, it might have appeared to be something insignificant, but to the eyesight of many of the American people, this was something major. And I begin to think about all the things that Allah has blessed me to to accomplish, to achieve over the years. But we have to ask the question, how did it get that way? How did it get this way that this little African-American would get an opportunity to engage the Muslims and the non-Muslims around the world? How did it get that way? Because there's a principle, brothers and sisters, that you find all over the world. And that is usually children follow the religion of their parents in the early ages. And so Allah mentions in the Quran, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ اِتَّبِعُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ قَالُوا بَلْ نَتَّبِعُوا مَا عَفَيْنَا عَلَيْهِ أَبَاءَنَا And when it is said to them, follow what Allah has revealed, they said, no, we will follow where we found our fathers. All over the world, two billion Christians, not every one of them, most of them are Christians because their parents were Christians. I was a Christian, but not only was I a Christian, I was a Baptist. Why was I a Baptist? Because my mother and father were Baptists. I know Muslims who used to be Jehovah Witnesses, and why were they Jehovah Witnesses? They were Jehovah Witnesses because their parents were Jehovah Witnesses. Their parents were Catholics, and therefore they became Catholics. 1.5 billion Muslims around the world, not all of them, many of them are Muslims because their parents are Muslims. How many of you in the audience tonight, your parents are Muslims? Raise your hand. So therefore, children inherit the religion of their parents. That's not strange. But every once in a while, some of these children begin to examine the religion of their parents and then they make a decision that I either want to be that or not be that. It was easy when Sapana was five years old. I know she's a Muslim. She's six years old. She's a Muslim. She's seven years old. She's a Muslim. And Allah blessed me to put Sapana in every one of my children in a Muslim school. And you will learn when you become mother and father, when you start having children, and then you realize that when your children becomes, begins to be 13 or 14 years old, and now they have a different mindset, and now they have to make a determination, do I really want to do this? Do I want to be a Muslim? Because you should never forget in every Muslim community, in every Muslim organization, there are two doors. There's a front door by which people like me become Muslim. On the one hand, but on the other hand, there's a back door. And in that back door, Muslims are leaving the faith of Islam. You may know some of them who used to practice last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago. But where are they? They went out the back door. So our job is to open wide the front door so more people can come in 
and close the back door so that the Muslim youth won't leave the faith. I was a young man when I became Muslim. Not far from here, New York University, a student at New York University. And I want to let you know this. I was not a not typical youth. Try to figure that out. I did what young men and women do. Alhamdulillah, some of you Muslims, you don't, you don't know what it's like to eat pork. I didn't say I ate pork. <laughs> I'm saying you don't know what it's like to eat pork. Some of you are blessed who have never tasted wine and beer and alcohol and smoke reefer. You are blessed. The difference between people like me, Imam Zaid Shakir, Hamza Yusuf, Bilal Phillips, Abdullah Hakim Quick, Abdullah um, uh, uh, Professor Abdul Hakim Jackson. We know what it's like to be in the dunya. We were in the dunya and we weren't angels in the dunya. But Allah blessed us. Allah is a friend and protect of those who believe he brings them from the darkness and he brings them into the light. Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us, many of us, to come from the darkness of Jahiliyyah into the light of Islam. We know what it's like to be in the dunya. But many of you sitting here tonight have never experienced the dunya. And maybe in your heart you want to see, well, I wonder what it's like. I wonder, I wonder what it's like to go to a party. I wonder what it's like just to smoke a little reefer. I wonder what it's like to drink a little alcohol. And one of the things that we hope as the elders and the seniors, that we would give the experience that we, that we uh, experience, we would tell our children about them so they don't have to experience the negative things. So now, brothers and sisters, Allah bless me, I was a Christian. In 1969 at New York University, I converted into what I believed at that time to be Islam. But it wasn't Islam. And you know what? I was a math major, going to school every day. And you know what I never did see? I never did see the MSA. The Muslim Student Association. I didn't see flyers on the, on the tables. I didn't see them coming to me, greeting me. But when I was in New York University, some of those guys from the Nation of Islam came to me. I was a basketball player. I was on the basketball team. And on the basketball team was a big guy named Jerry Tenex, about six uh, six, seven, six, eight, 260 pounds. And he would sit next to me on the way to the basketball games. And he would talk about this thing called Islam. So I decided in 1969, I'll never forget that day, it was a Wednesday. I remember the suit that I had on. I left the university, New York University that night and went on Madison Avenue and, uh, and Bedford Avenue called Muhammad's Mosque of Islam number 7C 
And there was a minister there by the name of Minister Arthur 14X. He gave a lecture that night. And when he gave a lecture that night, I listened to the message. And I decided that night to join the Nation of Islam, 1969. Two days later, Friday, I came back to the temple, heard another lecture. And they were talking about a newspaper called Muhammad Speaks Newspaper. And I was so inspired by the message that I heard that I took a hundred newspapers that night and went on Eastern Parkway and Utica Avenue. I was scared to death, had never sold anything in my life, but I was fired up. And I remember taking one of those Muhammad Speaks newspapers. I was standing on the corner and I would go to people and I would say, uh, sir, excuse me, you don't want one of these, do you? He said, no. I said, okay, thank you. I don't know, I was shy and bashful. I remember before I became Muslim, I remember in the back of the room uh, in junior high school, the teacher used to make us read and come in front of the class and read, but Allah's my witness, I was so shy, so bashful, that whenever the teacher said come in front of the class to read, I would sit in the back and hide under the desk. And I'm telling you the truth. That's how shy I was. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you some history now. It's going to take just a couple minutes. In fact, I'm almost finished, believe it or not. I should be finished within the next three hours. I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm going to share some history with you, some of it that you don't know. Some part of it you may know, some of it you don't, you don't know. I'm going to give you some intimate history. One of the things that I've learned as a Muslim is that we ought to stop talking about one another, but rather start talking to one another. We are good at talking about one another. And a lot of times we make assumptions. If you study the Quran and the Hadith very carefully, you will find out that our Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, was very careful about giving your brother and your sister the benefit of the doubt. I give an example. We walk down the street and we see a Muslim going to a liquor store. We start telling everyone, so-and-so, I saw so-and-so drunk. You know why they went to the liquor store? They had to go to the bathroom. They had to make a phone call. But we have these ideas. So the prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, when he teaches us hadith, he don't teach us hadith just to memorize the hadith. He teaches us the hadith to learn from it. He said, alayhi salat wa salam, that Isa, alayhi salat wa salam, he saw a man stealing. And Isa, alayhi salat wa salam, asked the man, did you steal? And the man swore by Allah, I did not steal. And you know what our beloved prophet Jesus said? I believe in Allah and I deny my own eyes. Why do I say that? Because one of the most difficult things for brothers to stand in front of the people 
and you stand in front of the people and you give as many speeches as I do and some of the brothers do, however young they may be, after a while, see, you're on stage now. And when you're on stage, everybody listens to everything you say. They record what you say. And there's some people who listen and they're not listening trying to get nasiha. They're not trying to get knowledge. They're not trying to get wisdom. They're not trying to get information. They're not trying to be inspired. But they listen trying to find something wrong. They watch trying to find something wrong. So when Maiz came to the Prophet, the lay salat wa salam, and said, Ya Rasulullah, I have committed such an offense. Now you know how we are? Someone comes to the Imam and says, you know, Imam, I, I, I did something. Yeah, what did you do? <laughs> Who did you do it with? <laughs> how many times? <laughs> Give me the details. <laughs> But not the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. He said, maybe, maybe you just kissed. Benefit of the doubt. Maybe you just winked. Benefit of the doubt. Maybe you just touched. Benefit of the doubt. He's not trying to find out. He's not trying to dig in. But we're not like that. We, we look at the public figures, and you know what? So I'm all right with that because it comes with, the, with territory. It's okay. You're going to be judged. Two things I did, I want to tell you what I did. I'm not saying it to accept in the context of what I want to teach you, a lesson today. And really, honestly, honestly, I won't be, it won't be long. I'm almost finished, really. In fact, that's me walking out there right now. <laughs> Two things I did. Two things I did. Brothers and sisters, in 1975, when Elijah Muhammad died, let me tell you some history. I am telling you now, I believed in that teaching. I did. I quit my job. Subhanallah, I don't know if you know this. You, were, you weren't even born yet. I quit my job. I was working, going to school full time, and I quit my job and sold Muhammad Speaks newspapers for a living. Did you know that? All right, now you know. <laughs> I want you to imagine this. A student at New York University, one day may teach math at, a, at, at the university level, believe so much in the message that I give my job up to sell a 25-cent newspaper. Foolish? Okay. Committed? Yes. What did I do? I went from door to door to door, knocking on doors in black neighborhoods, trying to sell a 25-cent newspaper because I believed that this man was the messenger of Allah. I want you to think about this. My pockets were full of change. 25-cent uh, newspaper by myself walking in Brooklyn, Bedford Stuyvesant, going into projects by myself up and down the elevator late at night, early in the morning, knocking on doors. You know why? Because I believed 
One day, Allah's my witness, I will never forget. I was on Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, and I went to an apartment building to sell Muhammad Speaks newspapers. And I opened the door, and in the midst of the uh, corridor were two men, two African-American young men, and they were standing in the middle of the hallway. And I said to myself, they are going to try to rob me. And I said, I'm going to make a decision. Either I'm going to go forward or turn back. I decided, because that's my thinking then, I ain't afraid of nobody. That's what I'm serious. I fear nothing but Allah. That's what, that was what we said. And I walked, and there were two, two of the young guys. One of them, he looked um, like stone. Hard. And the other guy looked not as bad. <laughs> so what I did, and lost my witness, I took a newspaper, Muhammad Speaks newspaper, and I shoved it under their arm, each one of them. And I said, now give me a quarter. <laughs> the guy on the left looked a little bit more reasonable. I said, what's, the more, what's wrong with your buddy here? Don't he smile? The guy, stony face, went in his pocket, pulled out a gun, and said, you just can't rob a Muslim, put his gun back in the pocket, and gave me a quarter for the paper. <laughs> now you know I really think Allah is with me. that movement all around the world people talk about it the man that you talk about the man that you love the man you respect Malcolm X part of that movement what you don't know that Malcolm really helped build the movement when he came out of prison in 1952 he became a minister for Mr. Elijah Muhammad in Detroit and then he rose in the ranks until he became the minister in, 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 in Harlem when, when Malcolm X came out of prison, maybe there were 400 followers in the whole country. Malcolm started the newspaper, Muhammad Speaks newspaper, in his house. People don't know that. Malcolm went all over, before you know it, 100,000 people in the nation of Islam is growing everywhere. Now let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, in my conclusion, that's going to shock you, that you didn't know. How many of you read the autobiography of Malcolm X? Raise your hand. If you didn't read it, you have to read it. If you didn't read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you have to read it. Read the autobiography of Malcolm X. If you look in his book, Malcolm mentions Wallace Muhammad, the son of Elijah Muhammad. Wallace Muhammad was kicked out of the nation of Islam twice. And why was he kicked out of the nation of Islam? He was kicked out of the nation of Islam because of his unorthodox views about Islam. What was really meant was because of his orthodox views. In the nation of Islam, they taught that a man named Far Muhammad was God. Wallace Muhammad didn't accept it. 
In the nation of Islam, they taught that Elijah Muhammad was the messenger of Allah. Was Muhammad didn't accept it. And if you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, in one of the one of the chapters after pilgrimage, Malcolm said, this is 1963, Malcolm said that Wallace Muhammad said the only salvation for the nation of Islam is if they become orthodox Islam or become orthodox Muslims. Uh, uh, Wallace Muhammad would teach Malcolm about Islam, some aspects about Islam. Let me fast forward it now. Malcolm was in the nation of Islam for 12 years. He's a minister preaching. 1963 in November, President John F. Kennedy is assassinated. And then Malcolm makes a statement of chickens coming home to roost. Malcolm is silenced from the nation of Islam. And the rest is history. In March 8, 1964, Malcolm X makes a declaration of independence from the nation of Islam. And he starts an organization called the Muslim Mosque Incorporated and the Organization of African American Unity. Malcolm lives, lives less than a year. In 1964, he goes to Mecca and he learns about Islam. But what you don't know that Malcolm met a man from Egypt named Yusuf Mahmoud Sharabi. And he told him one hadith. He said, La yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba liyakhihi may yuhibba lunafsihi. You're not a true believer until you want for your brother what you want for yourself. That affected Malcolm. And then Malcolm, when he was in Mecca, someone asked him after making pilgrimage, what impressed you most about the pilgrimage? He said, the brotherhood of Islam. He's assassinated. But before his assassination, let me tell you what happened. He was assassinated uh, in February, uh, I think 26th, 27th, 27th, I think it was, 1965. On the day that he was assassinated, where did he park his car? He didn't park his car right in front of the autobahn ballroom. He parked his car 10 blocks away and started walking. Why he do that? One of his followers saw him and said, Malcolm, get in the car. Took Malcolm to the autobahn. He's in the back of the room and he's telling people around him, I feel something's going to happen. I shouldn't go out there. But he goes out there anyway. And Benjamin Kareem, the man who opened up for Malcolm on that day, told me, Benjamin Kareem was Malcolm's assistant. He lived in Richmond, Virginia. I would go visit him. He just died last year. I used to visit him because I wanted to know the history about Malcolm X from somebody who knows. He said, Imam Sarraj, Malcolm X saved my life. I said, how so? He said, usually when I open up for Malcolm, I sit right there next to him. And that day, I opened up for Malcolm, and Malcolm said, Benjamin, don't sit there. Sent Benjamin in the back somewhere. In the moment, Benjamin went to the back. You have pop, 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 and Malcolm was murdered. What you don't know, two days before that, a professor at the University of Brown invited Malcolm on Tuesday to come give a lecture to his students. And Malcolm said, I'll be dead by Tuesday. He said, Malcolm, don't mess around. He said, I won't be alive. He said, come on, Malcolm. He said, okay, I'll be there if I'm still alive. Malcolm knew. Malcolm had courage. So even courage is not the absence of fear. 
courage is to move ahead despite your fear. I know sometimes, young students, you have fear. As a student in college, maybe the only one in your college, only one in your high school, I know you have fear, but despite that fear, move forward. I know some of the sisters, they have fear about wearing the kimar because nobody else in the area, in the school, on the block, in the neighborhood, wear kimar. So there's a little bit fear. So some sisters, despite the fear, they put on the kimar and they move ahead because they have courage. Now let me tell you what happened in 1975. I'm in the nation of Islam. We hear on Saturday that Elijah Muhammad has died. This is 1975. We didn't believe it. We thought it was a trick. We didn't learn until Sunday morning, Allah had it, that the Nation of Islam had a conference on that next day, Sunday, the day after Elijah Muhammad died. That morning, I was on, in the masjid on Bedford Avenue in, uh, in, in Madison. The minister announced, it's true, Elijah Muhammad has died. What's going on in my mind? I'm in the plane now, and the plane takes off all the way to Chicago, and I'm looking at the window, and you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for the world to end because it can't be. This man cannot be dead. This man is loved by his people. And so we go to Chicago. And lo and behold, you see the stage here? I was sitting about here on stage on security. And I'll never forget this day. We're numb. Wallace Muhammad comes on, the son of Imam Wallace Uddin Muhammad. The, the, uh, the, grant, the uh, leadership elects him to be the new leader of the nation of Islam. You know, you know what he had on that day? You know what he was wearing that day? He was wearing what I used to wear, an FOI uniform. If you see some of the pictures of these blue uniforms of these soldiers the, in the nation of Islam, the fruit of Islam, he had this blue suit on. I'll never forget it. But he didn't have the hat. He had the suit without the hat. And he started teaching the people. And one by one by one, all of the national leaders came and gave their allegiance to him. And I'm sitting there right now, and I'm listening, because there's one person I haven't heard from yet. Who was that? My minister. Who was my minister? Minister Louis Farrakhan. The national spokesman for Mr. Elijah Muhammad. Didn't speak yet. The minister over Harlem Master number seven. Didn't speak yet. So the last person to speak was Minister Farrakhan, and I remember what I was saying in my heart, that all that stuff sound good, but I'm not going to go nowhere until I hear from my minister. Minister Farrakhan came on and said, The Honorable Elijah Muhammad is the will of Allah. And his son, Wallace Muhammad, is the will of Allah. And what you don't know, for two years, from 1975 to 1977, Minister Louis Farrakhan taught Orthodox Islam. And it wasn't until 1977, late, that Farrakhan decided to again raise the nation of Islam. He left Imam Walid D. Muhammad and joined and started the movement of the nation of Islam again. Now, why did I tell you all of that and what's the lesson for today? And what does it have to do with my story in my conclusion? In 1975, when Imam Muhammad came with FYI uniform, think about this. He already was a Sunni Muslim. He 
already was a Sunni Muslim. He believed in la ilaha illallah. And when he came to the nation of Islam, the question is, why did he come back? And why did he come in an FRI uniform? And before you know it, the first thing he taught us, that Father Muhammad is not God. He said, Allah has no beginning, he has no ending. Father Muhammad is a man. So then, now the people in the nation of Islam are listening to this man. Next thing he said, his father is not the messenger of Allah. That Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, is the last messenger of Allah. In the nation of Islam, I was in the nation of Islam from 1969 to 1975, and I never made salat once. What did I say? Did I say I never prayed? No, we prayed, but did I make salat? No, because the Prophet says, Pray as you see me pray. It was Imam Warazuddin Muhammad who taught his followers how to pray, turned to Mecca. And let me tell you something else. One of my teachers, Sheikh Jafar Idris, you know what happened in 1975? Many people don't even know this. He came. In, in, in front of 25 ministers in the nation of Islam, I was one of them, and he recited for us some verses from the Quran. It was the first time in my life that I heard Quran. It was the first time in my life that I heard Quran. I have the tape, and you know what you can hear on the tape? My voice in the background saying, this is 1975, that's the greatest thing I ever heard in my life. I've got to learn that. And then he taught us to fast, not in the month of December, like the nation of Islam. Fast, Shahr Ramadan, fast in the month of Ramadan. And then he took thousands of his followers to Mecca to make pilgrimage. Now why I say that? Two things you heard about me. Number one, last year, Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam had the annual Savior's Day uh, convention in Detroit. Minister Farrakhan and his top staff asked me, Imam Siraj, to come to Detroit and lead them, thousands of their followers, in Salatul Jumu'ah. Now, I got to think about this. How many of you heard of the Million Man's March? The only man that can summon a million African-American men to Washington, D.C., Minister Louis Farrakhan, what you don't know, that he invited me to speak at the main, main, main mandate, I uh, mean, yes, <laughs> that. And you know what? I didn't go. You know why I didn't go? You know why I didn't accept it? Because I don't want to make that legitimate. So my thinking back then, I'm not going to go. Even though imams, they criticize me. They say, Imam, you have an opportunity to do da'wah. You should do it for Allah. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it for Allah. So when he invited me to give the Jummah khutbah at their Savior's Day, now I'm thinking. He sent his top brass. I'm talking about the top level of leadership in my office to meet with me, to persuade me to do the Jummah prayer. What did I do? I got imams that I respect, and I brought them with me. 
so that it won't be just Imam Suraj. I want to make sure I take sure with the Imams that I trust. And we met and we talked and we negotiated. We talk about changes that need to be made in the nation. And we also bore witness that there were changes being made in the nation. Things were changing and they were getting closer. They were, they were uh, uh, creeping closer to Orthodox Islam. So we finally made a decision that I should go. I went there and gave the Juma khutbah. If you are of the opinion that Imam Siraj shouldn't have gone, I respect that. It's okay. Because I thought about it. I waited. So in the Million Man March, I decided not to go for Allah. In this case, I decided to go for Allah. And I thought that I can, I can somehow help to bring them closer. Allah knows. I gave the Juma khutbah. Many of their leaders came to me afterwards and said, Oh, Imam, that was great. Can you come to our city to teach us? One of the biggest ministers in the nation of Islam, and I don't want to tell you his name because you get him in trouble. I gave him shahada. He's in the nation right now. There are others in the nation, ministers, ministers in the nation of Islam, ready for orthodox Islam. And I wanted to be there at least, even though you may look at me in a funny way, I know, inshallah, I'm doing it for Allah to help to bring them. Like Imam Muhammad, he went there. I know many of you have some criticism of Imam Muhammad, some things he's said in the past. I had some criticisms too. But in the end of the day, he will best be remembered as the man who made a massive conversion of people who were an absolute shirk and pointed their way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That man, I believe this. Honestly, what I'm saying what I don't see, his followers are not here. And I'm saying this not trying to get brownie points. But I believe that this man, because he pointed me to Quran and Sunnah, that a lot of work that I do, Allah will give him some credit on Yom Al-Qiyamah. I believe that. I really believe that. Because he instituted this teachings, this Sunnah, in his community. And you know what? Some of his followers didn't like that. Some wanted to kill him. And finally, uh, we had our Man of First Conference last uh, November in, um, in uh, Philadelphia. And some people don't like the idea that we brought Imam Muhammad. Imam Muhammad changed his name to Waratuddin Muhammad. Imam Muhammad changed the nation of Islam to the world community of Islam in the West. And you know what? In 1975... Something happened that most of you don't even know. He said, white people can now join the nation of Islam. And at that time, white people weren't allowed. A white woman named Dorothy in Chicago was the first one to join the nation of Islam as a white person. Now look at it. Look how it has grown. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless Imam Muhammad, to continue to help him, to grow and help his community. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide Minister Farrakhan to Islam. And remember the dua of the Prophet Muhammad alayhi salatu wa salam. Allahumma izzal Islam bi Umar ibn al-Khattab or bi Abu Jahli ibn Hisham. O oh Allah, strengthen Islam. Would Abu Jahli ibn Hisham, Hisham or Umar, uh, Umar ibn Abdul Khattab and Umar becomes a Muslim and the rest is history. Brothers and sisters, not so much my history, but your history. And one of the greatest lessons that we learn in the Quran and in the Sunnah is not how you begin the race that counts. 
everyone is born a Muslim. But it's not how you born, how you end the race. The Prophet said, Your deeds shall be judged by your last deeds. For me, I'm going to keep working. Every Muslim group that I can, trying to bring them closer to Islam. My position has become the position of Imam Shafi, Rahimallah, when he said, I believe that I'm right with the possibility that I might be wrong. And I believe that you're wrong with the possibility that you might be right. May Allah bless you, brothers and sisters, and keep on learning, keep on growing, and be, keep on having patience with one another. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.